Imagine building an organization that provides not just for you and your family, but for the families of hundreds more. A brand recognized as a leader in your field. Why is it that some leaders are able to inspire a team and have a profound impact on our world, while others attempt to beat their teams into submission through micromanagement and managers who, regardless of title, are not leaders, costing their business to lose great talents and resources through attrition and toxic culture, ultimately running a great brand right into the ground? There is something else at play here, and we want to know why. It's your brand. Protect it. Protect it from both the outside and inside of your organization. Welcome to Brandology Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Mosier, alongside co-host David Morrow. We explore great leaders, great brands, and the reasons why they succeed. We also take a look at stories of toxic cultures and the fall of some iconic brands. We'll play brand trivia and interview some of the leading entrepreneurs in today's business world. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome to the episode, and please don't forget to subscribe and follow. Let's begin. So welcome, everyone, uh, to today's uh, uh, Brandology podcast episode. Um, special guest today is uh, Dr. Rosie Ward. Dr. Ward, welcome. Thank you for having me. Great. So this is David Morrow, uh, host, along with my co-host, Mark Mosher. Mark, how oh, are you, sir? Hello. Doing well. Thanks, David. Great. So, um, do you like to be called Rosie or Dr. Ward? Does it matter? Ro- Rosie. Rosie. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So um, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate it. So t- uh, tell us about uh, what you're currently doing and um, and who you're with. Yeah. So my company is called Salveo Partners. And our what we're doing is really our purpose, which is ultimately to rehumanize the workplace so that people can bring their best selves to work and home each day. And I think that uh, in this day and age, I feel like it's needed even more than now because work and home are blended and people are wanting to feel human and are wanting to feel um, seen and heard and accepted, whether they're physically going to a workplace or not. Um, So yeah, we're doing that through doing uh, workshops, whether it's training people to shift their own workplaces or be consultants and do this work. We are uh, working with intact work teams, we're working with leadership teams, we're doing coaching. So it's really, we, we say that our services are coaching, um, pr- consulting, and really professional development to help move that purpose uh, forward. Okay, who are your main um, clients or customers? You know, they're kind of all over the map, honestly. Uh, I would say the people that come to our professional development courses who are wanting to, we have various programs that we do. Um, it's a combination of people who are in the HR and benefit space, as well as people who work in like worksite wellness. Uh, so we do have some small business owners but and some leaders, but that's predominantly who comes to our professional development programs, I would say from a consulting standpoint, a lot of mid-sized organizations, um, if they're larger organizations, we're typically working with a smaller uh, division who's wanting to pilot something and kind of get something going um, before they do anything big. Um, So a lot of small to mid-sized companies, and it's really all, all types of industries. It's really more about I think philosophical fit where we have leaders or people within the organization who have an ear to whoever makes the decision that really realize that there's an opportunity to do things in a better way and to have a better human experience for the people who work at that business. Cool. So do you guys break up into small groups or is it one-on-one? 
It's a variety. Um, when we pre COVID, when we could actually physically be together, we did a combination of, you know, large group workshops, breaking out with smaller sessions, one-on-one -on -one coaching, those types of things. I would say in today's virtual environment, it's still a combination of, we might do some group stuff and then use breakout room features with technology or one-on-one. -on -one. So it's, it's really a little bit of all of it because I think if you're fundamentally going to shift a culture you have to get to the mindset and you can't do that if you're not some to some degree getting on that individual level yeah that makes total sense with the onset of covid have you seen a, a increase or decline initially there was a decline i think just everybody right so uh we used to do a lot of keynote speaking and a lot of conferences obviously got canceled some of them pivoted to virtual and I think a lot of people were just trying to figure out what the heck they were going to do when it was, can we keep the lights on and, and where are we at financially? And so there was a pause for probably the first two months uh, where our current clients kept going, but we pivoted virtually. But anything we had in, in the works was just gone. But I would say, honestly, in the last six weeks, we have seen a huge uptick. And I think um, could be part of our book coming out um, and people getting wind of it. But I think also that people are realizing that we're in this for the long haul and that there is no going back to whatever normal was because normal wasn't working. It's really how do we create what the next normal is? And they're realizing that we aren't equipped to do this. This is not our wheelhouse. Uh, we don't have leaders who are ready to get us where we want to go and they're realizing they need help. And so we've had a lot of increased inquiries in our consulting and coaching over the last six weeks, which, which is encouraging. Now that's great to hear. I like that. So maybe tell me, you had mentioned your book. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so our new book, this is our second book. It's called Rehumanizing the Workplace, and it's published by Conscious Capitalism Press, which we're super excited to partner with them because they're just so philosophically aligned in, in everything that they do. Ironically, it launched on March 24th, smack dab in the middle of pandemic, uh, which I thought could not be the worst time to launch a book. At the same time, it actually turned out to be a blessing because A, people either had more time to read and really look at stuff, and, and, and B, I think people were just looking for something uh, new. So it's really the whole impetus behind it is there's kind of three parts to it. The first is that anybody and everybody has an opportunity to show up as a leader in their life and lead in an influence positive change. This is not about leadership being a title or a role. And so at every chapter, we end it with tips of how you can show up as a leader and lead and influence positive change um, in this part of whatever the section we're talking about. The, the second piece of it is really recognizing that, that we live in this world, there's an acronym that you may have heard of called VUCA, which is, stands for volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. And it comes from the Army War College, but it's all over the place in business and leadership in the last few years. And and we talk a lot about this VUCA world, and I think that COVID and everything in 2020 has shown us VUCA to the extreme, so it's extremely relevant. But it's really recognizing that in a VUCA world, disruption is the new norm. And the problem is that as human beings, we are hardwired to cling to what's familiar. We are hardwired to... Uh, move away from uncertainty and discomfort. So you've got this disconnect between what the world is demanding of us and what the human condition will willfully let us do. And how do we reconcile that disconnect? Because we're not going to be able to survive or even thrive in this VUCA world without reconciling that disconnect. So we talk a lot about kind of how to do that. And then really the third piece of it, which has been an eye opener for us in our work the last few years is that most people think of culture change as it's at the C-suite and it's a top-down initiative, 
but that's BS because if you think about it, that any meaningful change, think about grassroots organizing, it starts kind of at that local level and it builds from there. And if you look at the research on culture and psychological safety, it actually resides at that local team level. And so what we have found over the last few years is that when you work at that team level, intact work teams, and you equip everybody to show up as a leader, so to be more self-aware, to not get triggered to self-protect and to reconcile that discrepancy of the human condition in the VUCA world, give them a common language, teach them how to listen well, teach them how to communicate, guide them through a process of creating shared culture and, and shared values, you transform that work team culture. And guess what? Another team starts to look and go, what happened there? How'd you do that? And then you do there and you just literally, you do one team at a time and Break it, it up sticks. into pieces. Break yeah, it up into and because anytime you push something out, like people, people want to be part of creating their own experience. They don't want to be dictated yep. to. And yep. so, so that's the other part of the book is saying you can transform, whether it's an entire organization, whether it's a division, whether it's your own family, whether it's a community, you can transform culture by going to that local team level. How are you to find it and starting there? And so, so that's really kind of what, um, the book addresses is that that paradigm shift and then how do you actually do that as the individual leader even if you don't have an official leadership title um and even if you think you don't have the influence you have that you you have an opportunity and i would feel like almost an obligation at this point in time to not sit back and wait for someone else more qualified but to really say i'm going to show up as a leader and i am going to be part of change that's great uh, absolutely yeah and especially with the uh with the amount of millennials in the workforce, I think that um, we address that with them quite often um, in terms of wanting to lead, but maybe they're not in that formal managing role, but they still have excellent opportunity to lead and, and yeah. they just need, and they need to speak up, especially on project work, right? If they're involved in projects, have your opinion heard, speak up, give us ideas because we want to know and don't think for a second that we're not going to pivot and we're not going to adapt those ideas. And then that can result in you becoming that leader. It's all part of it. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think, and I would say that when they speak up and share their ideas, they're a leader in that moment. Right. So right. I think that so often we look at, oh, I don't have this title or I don't have the influence or the power, the authority. And we always say we all can name people without, you know, we don't have to get political or anything. We can all name people who may have the title, the power, the pay, the authority, the job description, and they are no way, shape, or form a leader. That's and I can tell you so many people that don't have that, and they are 100% leaders because they influence, they make a difference around them. And so that's really what we're trying to... Well, there's to... managers and there's leaders, right? Yeah, for managers sure. Managers are managing tasks and, you know, micromanaging, and did you do this? And, and leaders are inspiring them to work for blood, sweat, and tears. There's a cause, there's a purpose behind it. Yeah, we actually, you know, we borrowed from several different people's definition of leadership before our new book, and we finally came up with our own definition that basically we say, that, leaders we say yeah, that leadership is, is maximizing your positive impact on the world by becoming your best fully authentic self and then calling others around you to greatness to break past barriers, you know, to break past their barriers and step into their greatness. And so... Um, it's really twofold. It's first and foremost, I've got to do my own work to become the best version of me, not perfect, but the best and show up authentically, not in self-protective or armored mode. Right. And then as I do that, I am calling those around me to greatness to do the same. And if we're doing that, we can do that in our family. We can do that on a team. We can do that on a project team. We can do that anywhere. And, um, and that's really what leadership is. And 
And if everyone kind of had that mindset and I'm going to show up as a leader today in my life and I look at where can I have a positive impact, it's such a different way of thinking about it. So Rosie, real quick, step back just a second. VUCA stands for Volatile, Unclear. Uncertain. Volatile, Uncertain, Complex, and Ambiguous. Complex. That's what I forgot to write down. Complex and ambiguous. Yeah. That's excellent. So I really want a copy of the book. How do I get one? You, it's available on Barnes and Noble and Amazon.com. Uh, so both of those, uh, there's a hardcover version. I haven't heard of either it, one of those places. What's the, oh, what is you it? Barnes and Noble and Amazon? <laughs> Barnes and Noble and Amazon. Uh, yeah. So, um, but yeah, so the, the, we, we'll we decided. Put the link, we'll put the link underneath the bio. Oh, perfect. Perfect. Yeah. yeah so the, our publisher decided right off the bat to launch both a hardcover and a paperback version. Um, hmm. So the, the hardcover version, you know, has got the nice book jacket, but it's all in black and white. The paperback version is color. So we have a lot of uh, graphics and infographics and stuff. And so it just kind of depends. Some people like one or the other. So we decided to release both versions um, depending on what appealed to people. So, um, yeah, we're super. Audio? Audio? Uh, not yet. So that's something that we're, um, we're working on. Okay, cool. That's really good. Hey everyone, the Brandology team has a special coming soon, and it's the rise and fall of an iconic international social media platform. At its peak, the website was valued at over $12 billion and had 75,000 new users every day. But within a few short years, it was liquidated and sold for pennies on the dollar. What went wrong? What caused this huge brand to fizzle? It was launched in 2004 and was acquired just a year later for over a half a billion dollars from Rupert Murdoch's News Corporation. In fact, for the next three years, it was the largest social media site in the world. In 2006, it surpassed Google as the most visited site in the United States. So where in the world is it? Why is your new band's music not on it? Why do you not have an account on it anymore? Why even is this ridiculous podcast not hosted on it? What happened and why did it happen? Come listen as we explore in this next series the rise and fall of the iconic social media platform, MySpace. You've really um, given us some really good... Uh inspirational words, some really good insight and some really strong wisdom. I'm just curious, just on a, on a personal note, is there somebody, if you look back in your life, somebody that inspired you, some event to uh, lead you where you are today? There's so many to be perfectly <laughs> honest, uh, like but they, but they all, they all intersect. I think if I look at the people who have influenced my leadership philosophy, my business philosophy, uh, Conscious Capitalism, Raj Sisodia and John Mackey, um, Bob Chapman, the CEO, Barry Waymiller. Uh, long before that, I was following Margaret Wheatley, Peter Senge, uh, Pat Lencioni. Um, I'm a huge Brene Brown fan, and um, mm-hmm. and I just think that there's such tremendous uh, value in her work. Also, Bob Keegan and Lisa Leahy from Harvard, uh, their Immunity to Change work, which uh, we talk about in the book and I use with groups. So really... Um, uh, DC looking at motivation and change, Daniel Pink. So there's just so many that, that have had me over the years rethink what, what does it mean to have motivation and foster that? What does it mean to have a thriving workplace, a healthy culture? What does it mean to treat people humanely? What does it mean to recognize and normalize the human condition and help people 
move move through it and then move past it. Um, so the, yeah, those are just some of the the top ones. There's many others, but those are ones that immediately come to mind that I have. Simon Sinek too, obviously. I was just about oh, to say it sounds go. a lot like Simon Sinek. Yeah, yeah, yeah Simon Sinek. I've been a follower of his since you know start with why came out. Um, so yeah, yeah you'll I'm see biased. a lot of them influence my work. Yeah, I'm a huge fan, so I'm always biased toward him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also he, like. He I also, in about. more recent years, I also really like uh, Kristen Hadid. I really appreciate. Oh yeah, her. she's really good. She's yeah, her humanity and yeah. Um, yeah. So we were really fortunate that in our new book, Kristen Hadid wrote a really nice endorsement. Bob Chapman wrote an endorsement. Raj Sasodia wow. wrote the foreword. Whoa, um, that's fantastic. Yeah. So oh, we wow, we were really great. really excited. And then Amy Edmondson, who's the psychological safety guru, also wrote a blurb for our book. So we, we we're really fortunate that so many people that we admire and respect um, thought enough to actually you know pre-read it and and let us oh, let yeah. you know if so if you open up their blurbs are on the cover and stuff. So we're we're really really excited and grateful. For that oh yeah that's got to make you excited that's yeah. fantastic yeah so you know you have the um you, you're certified in dare to lead you're a certified mm -hmm. dare to lead facilitator what 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 is that can you explain that yeah dare to lead is one of Brene brown's programs so mm -hmm. her latest book dare to lead she conducted research for over seven years with organizations and found that across the board, what we need to be future ready is we need braver leaders and more courageous cultures. And if you're familiar with her work, you know, she looks at courage is not the opposite of vulnerability. It's, it's including vulnerability. So it's really showing up fully, right? When we can't control the outcome. So it's not tapping out when things get difficult. It's not tapping out when things get hard. And, and I think we need that now really more than ever. And so what she found is that you can build courage through four key skill sets. And so Dare to Lead, the book, walks through those four skill sets. And the program basically teaches uh, intact work teams, groups, individuals to do that. And so I was super, super unfortunate. I applied, um, what was it? It was like the end of 2018. Uh, she had open applications and the various criteria you had to met. And I was one of, I think she trained five to 700 people in 2019 to be certified. So I got to spend three days with her personally and she walked us through her curriculum and it was just really, really amazing. And we've had many meetings with her via Zoom since about curriculum updates and they've enhanced the program based on what they've learned because she's always doing ongoing research. And so it's been a real gift to integrate that into the other work we do with teams to really help them get out of their own way and have those uh, courageous conversations, to lean into vulnerability, to get back up when we fall, all the things that are so critical for us to survive in this disruptive world. Hey everyone, Mark and I are excited about this episode and all of our episodes. One goal of this podcast is to let everyone hear candidly from leaders themselves in their own words, unpolished and real. If you can realize that, you can lead Make an impact and transform places and people from any role or position, regardless of title, regardless of what organization you're with, or even as a stay-at-home parent, as a leader, then we've met our objective. Please send us your comments, suggestions for who we should have as our next guest to brandologypodcaststaff at gmail.com. That's brandologypodcaststaff at gmail.com. Thanks for listening as always. And now back to our episode. Well, that's really good. So with everything that you've got going on with the new book, uh, with everything that you're passionate about and involved about, what's the future look like? What's next? 
you know, one, I think if anyone can tell you what the future looks like beyond an hour from now, they're like, who knows, right? Um, I'm sure the future holds a lot more disruption, a lot more curveballs. So for me, what's next is actually, we have been talking about uh, me starting up my own podcast. So we have a name and, and description, maybe launching this fall that is called Show Up as a Leader. And it's really, how do we take the principles and really continue to look at how do we help people get inspired to show up as a leader in their life. So that's something, I guess, now that I put it out in the universe, it's probably got to happen. Now it can't just be a secret behind the scenes. Um, so looking at, um, learning all I can about what is it? Yeah, you heard, you did actually hear it first. So um, I've been for the record, I've been a guest on numerous podcasts. I've never done one. So I'm, I'm right now working with our IT and marketing partners to figure out how do you do it well and what does it take to launch it and all those things. So, um, you know, I relaunched right before COVID my drrosieward.com website, which is really it is for businesses, but it's really for that individual who wants to be inspired of how do I show up as a leader and those types of things. So my newsletter, I'm just kind of trying to get the handle of that audience. And then Celio Partners is really the B2B. So um, so really kind of looking at how do I continue to pivot and add value in this world that is so uncertain? And what does that look like? On the Salveo side, we've obviously pivoted many of our trainings that weren't virtual to virtual. We're looking at even how do I start to create some shorter on-demand courses that people can have that want to get smaller micro learnings maybe of some of our larger programs and either get a taste of it or, or just, you know, do little bits and pieces. So really just kind of trying to look at our suites of products and services of how do we continue to bring our purpose further out into the world. Um, and yeah, so we're really looking at a bunch of different things and trying to, there's a lot of logistics that goes into making all of those happen. So that's really kind of, I would say the what's next for us um, or for me from a, from a work standpoint. Right. So when we think of even before COVID, there was a shift to people working remotely more so. And I think COVID just forced the hand of those who weren't adapting, right? They yep. just had to really do it. And their IT department suffered because of it, right? Because they were like, we've been telling you to get ready for this forever. And and then uh, leadership said, oh, I guess we have to do this now. And they weren't prepared. Right. So let's talk about culture and how that affect and how that transformation of the work environment. There's no longer cubicles and coolers. I mean, they're still there physically, but it's not a daily event now. Mm -hmm. Um, What's the effect on culture in terms of collaboration and um, being able to lead? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think one of the things that's so important is recognizing what is the actual definition of culture and then what's the difference between culture and environment or culture and climate because so how do we define it yeah so i i'm a big believer if i go to the gurus so i go to dr edgar shein who is the guru of organizational culture and he defines it as the hidden unconscious underlying take it for granted beliefs attitudes values perceptions that underlying thinking that ultimately then translates into the behaviors of of how we show up, right? So we always use an analogy of a river. Like everything you see on the surface is the culture and climate. So you could go into a workplace and you can see the cubicles or how they interact with one another or their policies or their practices, but beneath the surface is that current and that current is the culture. The current is what drives it. And so what we always say is if that underlying current is not an attitude or a mindset where people feel valued as a human being, right, where they feel cared about, where there's trust. If that's not there, I don't care what 
what, you know, foosball tables or nap rooms or, you know, whatever, or open workspaces or closed workspaces, or I don't care what your physical environment is, it doesn't, it doesn't do you any good. And so in a, we talk about this in the book, what a lot of these workplaces who are very intentional about their culture, the key is they don't leave it to chance. So they align their culture and their climate by creating very deliberate practices. So as an example, we talk about one company called Improving. They're, they're an IT company, speaking of IT, and, and they really anchor on one of their core values around trust. Well, they don't just leave it to chance. They literally have created practices where at their daily huddles, they talk about one of uh, Stephen Covey's core trust behaviors. They have blogging expectations. You know, they, like, they live their values by the practices that they put into place. They also have this elaborate, um, measurement structure of how they're measured on like satisfaction and stuff, not just, you know, numbers, like they have very human metrics. And so I think that from a workplace standpoint, when you move to a virtual environment, you have to be that much more deliberate about how do we help people still feel connected? How do we help people still feel valued? How do we help them still feel heard? Because the environment, yes, it matters, but it's more about is that underlying sense still there and what are the deliberate practices that we now have to put in place for example you can't rely on accidental run-ins in the office so you either have to set like office hours or you have to intentionally schedule short check-ins you know so there's just things you have to be more deliberate and proactive about to maintain that sense but it's still very very doable and so how do people find opportunities to lead like when they when they want to in a remote setting is it through zooms do they do they speak up like yeah i think it's all the above i get asked these things yeah i get asked these things a lot and i i don't have a clear-cut answer Uh, i I think i think it's all the opportunities there you know the opportunities there you speak up yeah because because if you don't consider it waived like consider Mm -hmm. that opportunity gone and, and 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 you need to be able to speak up when you can. Yes, and I think there's got to be different ways for people to speak up. So as an example, whether someone's using Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatnot, like there might be right. collaboration boards, right? And somebody contributes their their ideas there. Or maybe they were in a team meeting and they needed to think about something, but then they send an email to someone to go, hey, I have some ideas. Or they volunteer to be part of a work group or a project that... Um, you know, maybe they don't have expertise, but they're willing to stretch themselves and learn because there's so much new work that's going on as business businesses continue to pivot. So I think that, but, but um, as an example, our, I mean, I'm an extrovert, but I coach and work with a lot of introverts. And what I consistently hear is that, especially in this virtual environment, that people are just talking and they're filling, they're filling the silence in the virtual room. And so people who have more introversion qualities where maybe they need to think and process more before they contribute. Um, Maybe they're just not comfortable in a large group and the virtual setting makes it even harder. That are we creating a space for their voices to be heard? So can they use a private chat? Can they share after the fact? Can we say, you know what? I know some of you are still getting your thoughts together. I'm gonna circle back with you individually tomorrow and see if you have any additional thoughts that came up. So it's really being intentional, I think, to create a safe space that all types of uh, voices can be heard, but uh, so if I'm if I'm quieter, if I'm more of an introvert, uh, yes, I need to speak up. But uh, it might not be in the way that my extroverted colleagues are speaking up, right? It might be after the fact, or it might be, hey, I have ideas. But you're right, we do have to be a little bit more proactive. We have to be a little 
more willing to take initiative or to say, hey, I want to learn about this or hey, I have a concern about this. I think if we're not getting what we need from either our colleagues or our leader, we also have to be willing to ask for what we need and speak up. And I think that can be really hard for some people. But I think this is why I love Brene Brown's work of being more courageous because it can be uncomfortable to ask for what you need. It can be uncomfortable to set boundaries and say, hey, no, I'm not going to take a meeting at 6 a.m. just because I can. So I, so there, there's also this uh, shifting that has to go on of our own mindset of what might keep us from contributing or speaking up or asking for what we need or, or whatnot. So there's a lot that goes into that, but I think there's opportunities. We just have to find them and step into them. Oh, Mark, you're, on, you're muted. You're on mute. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's a podcast, man. <laughs> the phrase of 2020, you're on mute. Sorry. <laughs> oh, and now you're muted again. I'm oh. going to kill you. <laughs> Sometimes I do it just for effect. <laughs> that's funny. Ooh, it brought a tear to my eyes. Thank you. So that's really good. Thank you for sharing that. So, We've been having a lot of discussion lately uh, since the onset of the, the work from home model or the hybrid model that some people are in that uh, some employees are concerned uh, in, in talking about employee monitoring and, and micromanagement has made, you know, it sounds like a, a comeback. You know, how do you feel about that? And what's, what's that effect on, on the culture of the organization? That's a great question. I think there's a, there's a few things. One is that there is an old school, I'm going to call it a management because it's not a leadership philosophy, that if I can see you and you're in your seat or you're in the vicinity, that somehow means you're working, which we know is not true. And so it's forcing a lot of, I'm going to say, old school management thinking to shift because how, how do you know, like on a day in, day out basis, other than physically seeing someone, how did you know if they were effective? How did you know if they were productive? Um, and if you're not having those conversations with people about what does success look like, what are the expectations in this virtual environment for many job types, and this isn't for everything, but it's more about did the work get done than did you put in hours? And if we're going to treat people like human beings, especially when people are having to help with uh, schooling kids at home and who knows what's going to happen in the fall, and they've got other responsibilities, they might be in a chaotic household, you know, like do they really need to be on and present for these hours or can they do it later? And so I think it becomes more about, can we hit a reset button and be really, really clear about what does effectiveness look like in this role, right? How do we measure? And it could just be the work output, not the work hours themselves. You know, do we need to rethink of, are there new types of reports or new types of check-ins? Is it a qualitative measure? Is it a quantitative measure? And I think we've got to really redefine that so it's clear and then if you're clear if, if you're on my team if you're within my span of care and i'm a leader of an area and we're clear on the metrics then i've got to trust the metrics right and i've got to treat you like an adult and so i think sometimes this goes back to when we're in a world of disruption and we're uncomfortable we fall back on what we know and it might just be i want to feel like my whole world is out of control so I want to control whatever I can. And so, ooh, I'm going to control my team. And we, we're not even thinking of if I was on the receiving end of that, it would demotivate me and it would disengage me. And so I think it's just hitting the pause button and, and getting super, super clear about what do we need right now? What's most important? 
How are we going to define success and what do you need to be effective? And that's what we need to be having our conversations on, not, you know, are you online? Are you, are you responding to my email? Um, because you shouldn't have to be micromanaging if you're clear about what it is that you're looking for and what it is you're measuring. Right. I mean, I, I, I read a lot about that because I see it in certain organizations um, in some um, respects, even within our own organization, it just kind of depends on what division or, or what group, right? It's, it's, it's not everywhere, but it's just in smaller groups. But um, I mean, I know that there's a lot of, uh, Reed uh, Blackman uh, wrote an article in uh, Harvard Business Review on this and had a whole litany of really good insight. Um, the stats about it causing um, a large uh, amount of millennials to want to look for new jobs because of it. And it's because the older managers don't even know, they're not even paying attention to how it's going to affect. There's no empathy there. And so yeah. they're not even sitting in the shoes of what it's like to be demeaned like that or to be, or, or, or to be disrespected like that. And yet we expect them to work after five and to pick up our emails and to, to you know, work for us with blood, sweat and tears and not just for the paycheck, not just clock in nine to five and, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I think the other, and that was, I mean, millennials were getting disheartened with workplaces that were doing that pre-COVID too, right? But exactly. I think that there, there's a couple of things in there that are super important. And, and one is, you know, going back to why we are so passionate about humanized workplace. Do I feel like my leader knows me as a person and cares enough to look at, you know what, we value you and what you can bring in your talents and gifts. And so what does your life look like right now? And, and how can we support you, right, in being able to navigate this world? Because it, none of us have been here before, right? right. And, and if your leader isn't doing that and your leader doesn't give a rat's ass, that, that's problematic. And so um, Pat Lencioni has this model. He talks about the three causes of job misery and, and how do we remedy it. And one is anonymity. Pat's the, author, Pat's the author of Five Dysfunctions of a Team, right? Yep. And The Advantage. Yep. And yeah, great, so he has a lot of- Great series. Great yeah, series, great. great book. Absolutely. And we use a lot of his, his work and are part of his, his pro consultant group too. So, right, so again, a lot of influence there. But one of the things he talks about is- um, anonymity is the first kind of cause of job misery. And it's, it's that thing that my, my leader doesn't know me. They don't, they don't care about me. They don't ask about me. They don't want to know how I'm doing. They don't know that I, you know, might have a family member that has COVID or that, you know, I'm working from my closet because it's the only quiet place in my house or that I actually, you know, I mean, they just don't know me. And so if we don't feel known, we're going to go elsewhere. Right. And the, the other one is what he calls immeasurement. And this gets into being clear about expectations. So it's, it's yes, me and my leader should have agreement and clarity of what's expected of me and, and how success is defined. But what if that's like something that doesn't come to fruition for a month or for a quarter, or, you know, it's a longer term thing. And measurement really deals with the fact that on a day in day out basis, do I have a way of measuring whether or not I was effective? So if I'm in customer service, like did I make someone smile or did I get a thank you? Maybe that's what it is, right? Or like when I, like for me, there are some days I'm like, am I making a dang bit of difference? But it's like, wow, when I have someone say, you know, I didn't want to have this call with you. I saw you on my calendar and now I'm so glad I did. And, you know, or you've changed my life or whatever. Like, I'm like, okay, like this is a good day. And so are you having that conversation with them to say on a daily basis, how are you leaving your work day, whatever that looks like for you and knowing you are effective? 
Um, and so, so that's a different type of conversation versus like the big metrics. And so we, we, we want to be known. And then the third is, do we feel like we're making a difference? Do we have clarity of purpose of how what I do matters right now? That how what I do matters to the organization, the purpose. And sometimes we lose sight of that or leaders assume people know that. And so I think that whether you're talking about millennials or you're talking about a virtual environment or you're talking about people who are part of the essential workforce or people who are going back into offices, it's do I know how what I do matters and that someone's telling me I matter and and that's important. Do do I feel like my leader actually knows me and cares about me as a human being? And do I have clarity and agreement with my leader of what I can look to on a day in day out basis where I might not have contact with my leader for several days, but each day I have a way of knowing was I effective today or not. And I think, again, we have to be more deliberate about that in a virtual environment. Um, but we, we need to do it in a physical environment when we're near each other too. It seems to be breaking up into subsets or new KPIs, right? Like simple example would be sales. Okay. Your annual quota might be this, but really, given COVID, how are we managing it this month, right? Mm -hmm. Like how are we, we're not looking at the year, we're not looking at the quarter even. We're looking at, you know, this month, what are we doing? What activity are we managing? Like the activity is gonna be different, right? Because right. it's not, it might not even necessarily be phone calls or, or drop-offs, you know, driving around and dropping off things because there's no access anymore. So, or it's limited. Um, I mean, if, if, if you get there, not everybody's gonna be there. And so it's, it's about, you know, changing those KPIs and those expectations, but still getting work done. Absolutely. Yeah. One of the things that we looked at when COVID first started was, okay, how can we continue to add value? Like this, we, we viewed it as this was not a time to try to focus on sales. This was not a time right. to try to grow our business because all you're going to, you're going to seem greedy. You're going to seem self-serving and that's not aligned with Don't use COVID in the marketing like yeah. whenever, whenever, like we work in an entire massive national sales organization, and and I will say in general, they handled it superbly, like very classy, very tasteful. I was very impressed with it. Every now and then, some of the younger ones were, were like, "Here, can you review this email or can you review this message?" And it was like, in light of COVID, we have this, and I was like, "No, no, no, no!" Like <laughs> yeah. absolutely, you can't capitalize yeah. on people suffering. No, and please, no. right, and please stop saying, you know, uh, in these uncertain times and uh, like unprecedented all times. Yes. Yes. Every yes. phrase that I see on a Ford commercial or something, yeah. I'm like stop. New normal. Yeah, like, yeah, no, yeah. So what we did is, I looked at it as, how can we? add value and just let people know we're here. Like we're right. literally no strings attached. And so I just started sending emails to um, any of my current coaching clients, current clients, even prospect clients, even past ones that I haven't talked to for a while. And it was just like, you know what? I don't know about you, but like, this is like uprooted my world. These are some things I'm thinking yeah. about to anchor me through these times. I hope, I hope they're helpful for you. Feel free to share these with your, your teams or your leaders. Hope you're well. And literally no strings attached. And and that's then I what said, Mark did. Yeah, that's what yep. Mark and his team did. We we, we yep. were just checking in on people. Yeah, we and that's what that's like, what it is. Do I you felt guys like need anything? What can you what can yeah. we do? Like there was there was a group, um, one of our, our cohorts, one of our kind of sister groups is this uh Konica Minolta group down in Louisville. They were just sending vans to help out, like deliver supplies. Just no mm -hmm. cost, just doing it. And it's like yep. that's the thing to do. That that to me is great brand you know, salvation, great brand preservation. Yeah. And that's it. And we said, okay, if our purpose is to rehumanize the workplace, like how can we show humanity and say, gosh, people are struggling right now. Right. And so it was, it was literally just sending, Hey, I'm thinking about you or, Hey, you know what? 
here's a book I'm reading or here's this or, and it, and it was me trying to be human too. And I did like, I did one in March. I think I did one in April. I've done like kind of like one a month. And when all the social justice stuff happened, I said, holy moly, here's what I'm reading and learning, you know? And so it's just trying to be like real and connected. I had so many people who uh, responded that just said, thank you for this. I needed to hear this. Um, and, you know, and again, I'm like, there's no strings attached. This is just, and some actually some previous prospects kind of crawl back out of the woodwork and some it was just nice to hear from them and you know so yeah I think it's how do you how do you look at how do you keep your brand intact how do you be true to who you are um and not capitalize on on human suffering because I just think that that's that just makes me sick honestly (laughs) people are going to do that but exactly I really like how you've um, you've emphasized the the human factor and the human effect. Um, I really really buy into that. Believe in that. One of the share beliefs David and I have is that if you create the right brand, you have probably cultivated the proper culture. And if you've cultivated the proper culture, you'll attract the right type of employees. And if you've got the right employees and it is effective leader, you put them in the right seats. Your business will grow. Thereby. The right culture has actually grown business. Would you would you believe in that? Would that be something? Oh, absolutely. I think culture is everything. I you know, Peter Drucker has his old saying that culture eats strategy for breakfast and operational excellence for lunch and everything else for dinner. And I think it, it's true. And and one of the things, if you look at, for example, the conscious capitalism model, one of the pillars is conscious culture. And all of these organizations who are in it for the long haul, who outperform the S&P 500 by a 14 to one ratio over 15 years, they are very conscious about it. And so they're very clear of what their company purpose is. They have a purpose beyond just making money. They So they have their why, as Simon Sinek would say, right. and they have their discipline of how. They have operationalized their core values. They are not words on the wall. It's very clear actions that people are oriented to, hired by. They create deliberate practices so those values can be lived on a day in day out basis when people's humanity gets the best of them and they screw up they have corrective conversations around those values and behaviors right so they have a filter of how to show up and then they again they create practices to allow that to then guide them and it acts as like a compass that we call it the the lighthouse principle but it acts as that that guiding light and it absolutely creates everything and i think you if you have an organization who doesn't have clear purpose or there's a mismatch where here's the values we claim we have but you get there and you're like okay those that's just like smoke and mirrors a really good pr firm people know it and then they're out on Glassdoor, they're out on linkedin they're out on all yep. networks saying yep. stay far far away um it spreads like wildfire and but like you look at these organizations that tend to their culture and tend to their people first um, i think simon will talk about this that they'll say oh yeah our employees matter but they're like fourth on the list right it's our customers always right. first well that's exactly right yeah if you treat so your own when people customers like, are number one yeah they're not number one yeah. that's the whole point like if yeah. you're making customers number one and not your employees then the customer is not number one because the people that you have talking to the customers right aren't in it for the right reasons yeah yeah but you take care of them and you again that that underlying current if they feel valued as a human being they've got meaningful and purposeful work um guess what? They're going to, they're going to, you know what? Yeah, I'll pick up that extra thing or, you know, I'm going to pitch in and help out this person who's struggling because that's what we do. We take care of one another. It's just a totally different experience. And then they don't want to leave. So I think it's just, um, and so I do think that more and more people are realizing that we've got to look at culture and how do we look at it in the dispersed, physically dispersed environment? Um, because I think too many, 
too many people thought of culture as that environment, as our building, as our whatever. Um, and, and so maybe this will force them to look at what culture really is. I don't know. But oh, that's <laughs> let me ask really you this. Yeah, let me ask you this. How does an employee who wants to lead, right, who has like a micromanaging supervisor or boss, right, where they're like, you know, you have to be on video if you're in a meeting. You have to, like, we take screenshots every five minutes of your computer, like all these monitoring things. If they're in that environment, and be, because what, what I'm trying to see is, is there a way for them not to leave? Because if I'm a young, if I'm young and starting out and I'm in that environment, I'm getting out of there. I'm mm -hmm. not sticking around. Like, you've got to be kidding me. There right. are so many other places where I can make just as much money or more and actually have dignity. So, you know, go hire some other joker who doesn't have any self-respect. So yeah. how, how do they overcome that? Or can they? You know, I think, I, I don't think that there's a clear cut answer. We actually have, I don't remember where it is in the book, but we have a section that's called, should I stay or should I go? Oh, and, it's a great section. And, yeah. and really, it's the, you know, my philosophy is that if you feel like there are pockets in the organization where it's well-intended or they're doing the work or, and, and you think that there is opportunity and possibility, maybe not with your own leader, but you know what, they're trying to work on culture and like, honestly, right, trying to work on, they, things can be messed up, but you see potential, you see intent, whatever, then maybe there's an opportunity to kind of work through, because there's going to be a lot of growth that comes with the pain, right? And maybe it is, you know, if you don't have the trust with your leader, or you probably call them a boss, not a leader at that point if they're micromanaging you, but you have relationships you can build elsewhere in the organization. This is not about being underhanded or skipping around, but you know, it's about building relationships with other people and trying to find out like, are there other pockets in the organization that maybe you could move into? Or, you know, do, do you have an environment where you could have a conversation with your leader and say, you know, I'm not trying to be like disrespectful or anything, but I'm just curious, like, what does like these, what is these screenshots or what does this tell you? Can we just talk about what success looks like in my role? Right. So kind of go back to not make them wrong, but cause they might just be, you know, again, triggered. And so can you say like, how do you find success and how does this help you? And can we just talk about like, what, what does it take to be effective in this environment? So you could try to have that conversation. And if your leader is like, I don't want to, well, then you kind of have your answer. Right. right. But, but maybe there's an opportunity to engage in a different dialogue and sure. do it in a way that isn't shaming and blaming. Um, so I, I always say like, if you think there's potential and you have the energy, right. And the tenacity to try to see if you can make a difference. I, I, I like a good challenge, but if you feel like they're truly, they don't give a rat's ass. If you feel like it's exhausting, you don't have the energy and there is another opportunity, then go, you know? So yep. I think that yep. it's not a one size fits all. Um, cause everyone's got unique circumstances. And I think if you're stuck in one of those environments and you can't just go because you need the money, you, um, you know, your livelihood depends on it and there's not other opportunities, then you have to figure out a survival mode until you can get out. And that sucks, but that's also reality. Yep. Yep. That's great. Hey, what's the name of your book again before we, before we go, as we're starting to wrap it, up? It's Rehumanizing the Workplace. Yep. Well, as we begin to wrap up, I, I really appreciate your time. I'm going to have to go back and re-listen to this because there's so much good material in here. Uh, I think our, our listeners will really get some value out of this because, you know, one of our passions, the reason David and I do this is to give the next generation of, of leaders, uh, you know, some words of wisdom, some insight, a way to enlighten their path or clear their path or give them a direct path. 
So I think there's some really great material for them. And I really appreciate everything you shared with us. One of the questions the listeners always seem to really like, and, and I do as well because of the diversity of uh, answers that we get back is, what did you want to be when you were a little girl? <laughs> you know what's funny is I wanted, I thought that I was going to be like a famous singer, which is funny because I can't sing. So that's what's really funny. I think it was just like, ah! <laughs> like on stage. Um, so yeah, I just, I don't know. I thought I just wanted to be out with, I think if I look back, I just want to be out with people. Um, but I don't know, like if you would have told me I'm doing, I'm doing now, like what I'm doing now, I didn't even know it was a thing. I didn't even know it existed. I just was like, I wanted to be, I wanted to be out with people. And, um, I think at one point in time when I was really little, I wanted to be a cashier cause I thought it was cool. They hit buttons. That was back before you scan stuff. <laughs> there you go. But, <laughs> yeah. I just think I like to be with uh, people. So I knew it was going to be something with that, but, um, but I honestly had no idea. So, and I actually, if you would have told me 10 years ago, I'd be doing what I'm doing now. I'd have been like, so, you know, you got a lot of evolve. That's great. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you for everything you've shared and thank you for your transparency and, and all the words of wisdom you've given the listeners. Um, David, anything else? No, I mean, Rosie, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Is there anything that uh, you would have liked us to ask you uh, that, that we may have missed? I don't, I don't think so. Um, you know, I, I think I said this at one point when you were saying your leaders or your, you know, your listeners always like to know what they can, um, do or something like that. I think if there is one thing I could impart for people, especially younger, whether they're Gen Z or millennials, is to stop thinking of leadership as that title or role or like something to get to or a level to get to and start thinking about it as a mindset. And especially if we've learned anything about, you know, grassroots organizing and stuff, do not sit back and wait for someone else, quote unquote, more qualified to fix a problem or to make change. If you see an opportunity in your workplace, in your team, in your community, in your friend group, like this is your chance to step up and go, how can I influence positive change? And, and if we have more people that are doing that, I think that's how we start to have really meaningful change in our, in our workplaces, but also in our communities. And so I would just impart, don't sit back and wait. Right. I mean, this is not an opportunity to take a back seat and go, oh, I need training. You don't need training to be a leader. You, you just don't. You just need to make the commitment of I am going to show up and I'm going to lean into that discomfort and, and see what happens. So the answer is not going to come from somebody just because they're an elected official and it's the government. The answer is not going to come from somebody in a leadership title in a company or, or an organization. It's going to come from leaders yep. where, wherever they are. Exactly. Exactly. And sometimes the people with the titles have no freaking clue and aren't going to be the ones that are going to make change anyway. <laughs> no, dear Lord, no. No, no. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's excellent. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. So, it was great uh, talking with you guys. Thank you. No, that was, that was really good. I mean it. I'm going to have to go back and listen to this because you had really a whole lot of good stuff to share. I appreciate that. Oh, yay. New, well, you're welcome. Thank you. New book, Rehumanizing uh, the Workplace. Um, the link... Uh, to be able to get that will be uh, in the episode, uh, Rosie's um, uh, website and uh, LinkedIn uh, link will also be um, below the episode on our website. And um, uh, we, we wish you the best of luck. We will, we will constantly be uh, watching and uh, monitoring you. We'll take screenshots of your uh, computer constantly and we'll <laughs> report back to you and, and, and your business partners. And then um, we will... Uh, uh, definitely, this will not be our last conversation. Love that. So, thank you thank so much. You're Appreciate welcome. It. Thank you. Thanks. 
Hey, David, that was another great episode. We tend to post one or two a week. Uh, unfortunately, don't really have a way of wrapping this up. No, uh, no, we really don't have anything formal or fancy or technological. Um, thank you for listening. Please follow and subscribe. Turn notifications on so that when we post the next episode, you will be notified of the new content. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate it. Everyone, thanks for listening.